I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. time we do this podcast <laughs> every week it's this horrible mind crushing thoughts we have every tuesday when we come around to do this uh this week we will be reviewing mad max and pitch perfect 2 uh, in our new release section as well as many other films and having a look at the Cannes film festival we're going to start <laughs> off though. we're going to call it that though we are yeah. going to have this like uh, a written rule now it's cans we're in England. it's like tesco's we're in we're in England, it's Cannes. Yeah, that's how it's spelt. That's how I'm saying it. Uh, from the same beautiful language that brought us Terry Henry for Arsenal. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway. Uh, we're going to start with the quiz, where it's delightfully poised at two all, and in fear of losing the quiz and having to watch Kill Keith again, Owen has changed the rules and moved the goalposts to try and outfox me and win. Exactly. I've picked up my jumper which was a goalpost and I've moved it slightly closer to the other one and I'm standing off my line for a penalty because I've changed the quiz so and he's also uh, rolled the ball in dog shit and tried to get me the header <laughs> yeah um I uh well recently okay recently I've been watching a lot of Albert Pyun films who is like from the 80s and 90s he's like the king of the b-movie and uh, I've talked about him a little bit on the podcast before, particularly when we inducted Jean-Claude Van Damme to our corridor of praise because he was in his 1989 film Cyborg. So, yes, we have mentioned him in the past. It's not me completely springing this on people because I just love the descriptions of his films. I think they're fantastic. So with that in mind, I've got three films that I'm going to read to First to Steve, and then I'll do some to Jackson and Brooker as well. You've got to pick the one out of the three that I've made up. So two of the premises are real. They're actual films by Albert Pion. One of them is a phony. Okay? Okay. Yeah. Everyone got it? Excellent. I'm with you. Okay, you're with me. Good. So to start with, Steve, which of these three is fake? Is it A? Kickboxer 4, The Aggressor, and the story is David Sloan must travel to Mexico to save his wife from a savage drug lord who's also an old nemesis. I'd believe that more if it was had to travel in time. <laughs> well, OK, so B, blood match. Brick Bardo is on a mission to find out which one of the world's greatest kickboxers killed his brother. Or is it C, quest for death? Victor Lee is a martial arts expert entwined in a Yakuza organised kickboxing tournament when he seeks revenge on the mobster responsible for the destruction of his parents' Chinatown restaurant. What One's real. I'm saying Two, one... I'm saying, okay, kickboxer for the aggressor. Yeah, you think I'm, that one's real? I'm saying that one's okay. real. And yeah. then... Rick Bardo is on a mission to uh, find the world's greatest kickboxer who killed his brother. Or Quest for Death is martial arts expert fighting in a Yakuza organised kickboxing tournament. I think I'm con- 
With number two, I'm more confused because is he does he know that the world's best kickboxer <laughs> killed his brother, but he doesn't know who the world's kick, best kickboxer is? Or is which he, one of the world's greatest right, kickboxers? Of the great, yeah. So there must have been some kind of clue about it being a kickboxer who killed his brother. He was kicked to death in the face. <laughs> exactly. I'm yeah. saying number two is the false one. <gasps> You're wrong. Blood match with Brick Bardo is real. It was Quest for Death, which oh, was the fake. Yeah. Nuts. But you, Kickboxer 4 is real. He did do a Kickboxer 4. There are four Kickboxer films. Owen? Yeah. I'm going to ask you this now. Have you prepared a tie break? I have. Good. Don't worry. Good. It's there. Good. It's ready. <laughs> okay. Brooker. Jackson. Yeah. Which of these three is fake? Is it A. Strider? an unofficial adaptation of the classic Capcom arcade game, only differentiating itself by spelling Strider, S-T-R-Y-D-E-R, for copyright reasons. Uh, is it B, Brain Smasher, a love story. Sam, a professional model, discovers her sister is battling Sha- Chinese Shaolin monks and unwittingly enlists a goofy nightclub bouncer for help. Or is it C, Max Havoc, Curse of the Dragon? Ex-kickboxing champion turned sports photographer Max Havoc finds himself involved in the lives of the vacationing sisters who have acquired a rare jade dragon which belongs to a ruthless Japanese Yakuza who will stop at nothing to get it back. I've got an issue. Wait, what? Right, so this, the strider bit, the spelling, was that actually in the film's description or did you add that in? Because if it's, you've added that in, you've given away too much information. I've never got any extra little facts like that about any of mine. And I'm not happy. You, <laughs> well, no, I've, I've, it's in the description there. So I've just read it. What's okay, no, in. if it's in the description, that's fine. I'll let it slide. Okay. Uh, but if it is fake, then obviously I've written the description. I was going to assume it's that one because I assumed I would know about a dumb strider thing with a Y. <laughs> but also, I don't care. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, the, you Brooker. see, my answer was pretty much the same, apart from I do care. <laughs> <laughs> I can give you the description of Strider, like the, the plot. Set in 2049 AD, Hero, a highly skilled ninja, must battle his way through a post-apocalyptic, unspecified Soviet state to save his kidnapped stepdaughter from the mastermind, a dreaded, tyrannical, ruthless dictator. Okay, well, so that see, one's definitely well, real see, if you definitely had another bit to pivot to. Yeah, you've not made that up. You've made this too easy for them. They've yeah. got a 50-50 shot at this now. <laughs> so, so you think it's Brain Smasher, A Love Story, or Max Havoc, Curse of the Dragon that's fake? Yeah, unless you like went about that deliberately hiding a bit of information. Oh, it's in not order... that clever. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are the two titles again? Brain Smasher, A Love Story. And Max Havoc, Curse of the Dragon. Uh, Max Havoc, Curse of the Dragon's fake. Are you in agreement, Brooker? No, I reckon Strider's fake. Oh. Well, you've got to pick, haven't you, between yourselves. Okay, then we're going for the other one. No, I... no, no go on then. Go on. I, I'll trust you. I don't, uh, I would have, I'm uh, guessing Max, Max Havoc, but I don't know. Okay. I'm not invested. Right, I'll take Max Havoc as your answer. And you're wrong. Strider is the fake one. You had the Dude. same... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so it's come down to Owen's tiebreak, has it? No, because I've got some more. Oh, right. We've got a couple more rounds to go. Oh, do we? Yes. Oh, I've got God. some more. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, Steve, is it A. Valiant, the last warrior, transported one whole century into the future to 1991's Detroit City by the evil immortal warlock Skullman? William Valiant finds the world of honour that he once knew is now resigned to the past. He must face Skullman in Detroit's techno underground fight club scene or risk losing the woman he loves to a space-time disease. Is it B? (laughs) (laughs) The sword and the sorcerer, a mercenary... If that first one's fake, then I think you should be proud of coming up with a space-time disease. If that that first one's real and I lose, I want to watch it. (laughs) Are these all Albert Pyon films? All of these are Albert Pyon, yeah, Pyon, Pyon, whatever whatever you pronounce it. All made up in Owen's mind. Either way, I want to watch all of them. (laughs) Okay. They all sound fucking awful. (laughs) B, the sword and the sorcerer, a mercenary with a three-bladed sword, rediscovers his royal heritage's 
dangerous future when he is recruited to help a princess foil the designs of a brutal tyrant and a powerful sorcerer in conquering a land. Or C, Abelar, Tales of an Ancient Empire. In a tale of tangled family ties, a brave princess must battle her half-vampire sister to save her mother from an evil sorceress. I'm saying two is fake because a free-bladed sword is too dangerous to wield. You would hurt, <laughs> yourself. You would hurt yourself in battle. So I'm saying that one's fake because of that ridiculousness of weapon. Okay, well, Valiant, the last warrior, is fake. I made that up about time-travelling William Valiant going to fight in a techno-underground fight club scene. That's a shame. I wait, know. wait, so there's a film with a three-bladed sword? There is a film with a three-bladed sword. There's, if you go even further, you've got Krull that's got like a five-bladed throwing dagger. Well, yeah. But you, you throw that away from yourself. That's not actually that dangerous <laughs> to you. A three. Do you try and catch it? <laughs> you could. Well, you'd be stupid, okay. though, wouldn't you? So moving on, moving on. Jackson Brooker. Brooker, you is can it take a? this one because I fucked up so badly last time. <laughs> a Amiga Doom. After Earth is taken over by an army of robots, the small number of humans left are forced into hiding. One robot, his evil circuits destroyed enters a small town where a robot civil war is taking place. He tries to convince both sides to join forces in search of a hidden cachet of weapons, all the while having a hidden agenda. Is it B, Starboxer, an intelligent deadly cyborg from another planet lands in LA, wreaking havoc on the city's inhabitants until Bruiser Bill, a semi-retired local boxing champion, leads the human resistance charge? That's not real. (laughs) <laughs> or is it C? It's, it's not that one because he's not a kickboxer. <laughs> C. Heat Seeker. In this futuristic thriller, a human kickboxing champion refuses to join a tournament fighting cyborg fighters until the event sponsor kidnaps his fiance. Uh, uh, this, this dude needs therapy. He really does. <laughs> kickboxing and his cy- it's got to be B. It's got to be B. Starboxer. Yeah. Is right. That's the one I made up. <laughs> I like the fact that the, the the clue being it's not a kick kickboxer <laughs> was in fact real. That's right. Yeah, because there was no kickboxing. It was. We just win. Boxing. This quiz is done. <laughs> That's done. <laughs> yes. So congratulations. You uh you win, and I get to pick the film that Steve watches. Just pick a good one. Just watch Clerks. I don't know. He won't pick a good one. I'm actually opening this up to you, Steve. You can watch Heatseeker, Amiga Doom, The Sword and the Sorcerer, Brain Smasher, or Kickboxer 4. What if I want you to write out the script of one of the ones that you made up yourself? Uh, what, you want me to just pen a script based on... Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't got time to do that. That's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that in a week before you then have to review it next week. Right, so... okay. Okay. What, what but honestly, to... I love this guy. I love his films. The premise is just the, the the synopsis for them is just fantastic. So you could you could be onto a winner with any of them, to be honest. So is your quiz yeah. going to be the same director every week, or are you going to change the director? Uh, I did write up some more, so possibly I can keep some back for next time. Aren't I in charge of the quiz next time, though? Oh shit! Yes, you are. So you yeah, you can do whatever kind of quiz you want, Steve. You haven't got to stick to this format. Oh, interesting. Right, yeah. okay, on to the news then. And Cannes Film Festival has been happening. How are we meant to pronounce it? How are we supposed to pronounce it? If we were in France... <laughs> if we were in France... Cannes Film Festival. Con. 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 We just Con say Cannes because... Con Film Festival. Uh, idiots, yeah. The yeah. Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. Still a, still better impressions than Matt last week, I suppose. It's better, better than Matt's. Danny Dyer impressions, yeah. yeah. So, uh, the 68th Cannes Film Festival is currently underway. There's only a couple of things. There's no point in us, like, reviewing what's been so far, because it's still it's still happening. There's, there's still films being shown, reviews coming out all the time. But one thing that I did notice, and I did... Well, there's a couple of things. One of the things I sent around to you guys was that um, Matthew McConaughey's film, the new Gus Van Sant film, The Sea of Trees, was apparently really booed and has gone down like a lead balloon. There's... Not a single positive comment I've seen about it, which is amazing considering the run that Matthew McConaughey's on. You know, really, I thought he, he could do probably. He's a bit of a stinker, then, really, isn't he? 
But yeah, possibly. It might have just gone just that little bit too artos. Because have you, any of you seen like a Gus Van Sant film? I've seen Elephant. I love Elephant. Yeah. So he's a... Good Hunting. He, okay. Oh, yeah, of course. Good Will Hunting. Yeah. I've seen The Last Days, which was one of his. And he is a very artos director. So m- you would have thought a Cannes Film Festival would be the ideal scenario for that. But if it's been booed even there, who knows? But they do like to boo a film at Cannes. But, See, for um, me, that's a pretty good indicator, because didn't last year they booed Only God Forgives out of the theatre, and that film was fucking terrible. Oh, no, <laughs> what are you talking about? Only God Forgives was great. It was a lot of neon nonsense. It may be the worst film I saw last year. I like. It was very divisive, that film. It wasn't um, that It was no, like, Amazing Spider-Man 2, so... And I didn't watch Amazing Spider-Man 2. I thought the first one was garbage. Yeah, it, it, the first one was garbage, so you're a smarter man than me, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, um, I, I like Only God Forgives. It's uh, just the most beautiful neon shots of Ryan Gosling walking about then punching a thing. I, I really wanted to like it. I thought it was going to be great because I loved the guy that made it, and it turned out that, no, it was... I, d- I didn't like it. I thought it was terrible. I thought it was okay. I, I like, um, didn't love it, but I, I thought the reviews for it were very harsh they were very uh well they expected unfair. another drive which drive is the most like the drive was constructed in a way that made it seem art housey and mm. super restrained mm. but it was the most it was a super populous film like it was a love story where it ended in a massive car chase and like a revenge plot it was incredibly consumable and it's no wonder that caught on in a big way and only god forgives is a big middle finger to anyone who expected another drive it's like no he's just <laughs> gonna stand around and have this oedipal thing uh, and just have weird exchange weird glances at different women for about <laughs> half an hour and mm. You can come with us or you won't. And I did. I was. I had a good time. Yeah. So maybe the Sea of Trees is actually quite good. Who knows? We will probably find out in about six to eight months' time. But also, the other thing I noticed was Inside Out has gone down quite well. The new Pixar film. Yeah, it's getting, getting a lot of praise, that one, isn't it? They can use a good one. They could. They could do with it because um, they've been on a bit of a downward spiral recently. Yeah, I wouldn't say they've they've made many bad films, but they've certainly made a fair few average ones. They have made bad, bad films. Monsters University was terrible. Yeah. It was was better than Cars 2. But this is the Monsters University and Cars 2. They were both just cash grabs, though, weren't they? In in the most blatant sense of it. Well, they're they're all cash grabs. Um, (laughs) But... I, I like Monsters University a bit more because the stuff it did with uh, Mike and the way that film was this small little story about making peace with the fact that you can't actually be what you want to be and some things are out of your control. Like, I thought that film was Pixar's uh, like surprisingly mature film in a while, which was odd because it came from this... It's a prequel to a movie that didn't need any more things made about mm. it, but it's th- that contains some of Pixar's best work in a while to me. Maybe, but it just wasn't funny. I think that was the problem I, I had. I, think, I expected I think, it to be a good comedy, and it it wasn't. I think part of the problem with Monsters University was it was it was taking a children's film, which is a children's film essentially still, and putting it into university and fraternities where the kids watching it have no real kind of understanding or experience of it. Yeah, but the, a... the cultural concept of you're going to college is a thing that is sold to children and has no bearing on actual real higher education in any way, shape or form. <laughs> so, are we are we looking into a film about monsters a little bit too deeply? Maybe. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is a film podcast. <laughs> well, yes, there is that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I like, um, to, I like to think of it more as a podcast where we talk about films rather than a film podcast. Yeah, that makes us sound a bit too much like we know what we're talking about. When it actually... means we can get away with saying cans. Exactly. <laughs> You've never been getting away with that. Everyone's been shaking their heads like, who are these assholes? They know as well. They know and they're doing it on purpose. <laughs> we do it to royal people. Yeah. But uh, OK, well, I mean, that's all I had that I picked up about can cans. Sorry. <laughs> Um, so 
they should we move on? Is well, that it? Well, or has anyone seen they, anything else? They banned women from wearing flat shoes at premieres oh, yeah. at Cannes. Con. <laughs> Les Confions yes. Festival. Nom, <laughs> nombre 68. Uh, what the fuck was that? I have no idea. <laughs> that was French. It was. Have <laughs> <laughs> you ever been to France? Have you? <laughs> I've been I've been through France, been over France. <laughs> yeah, you can tell. It sounded like you were shouting something out of a car window. It was, uh... <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Is that newsworthy? I don't know. It was it was on the BBC website, which made it a bit more legitimate than where I usually get my news sources of off Buzzfeed. <laughs> so ah, BBC's not much further up the ladder than that at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Uh, is it sexist or is it just like oh, I don't know. Is this really hard? Is this harsh and ridiculous dress code sexist? Let me have a think about that for a while. Hmm. Like, yeah, it's super gross. But all those things are like film festival, any kind of like thing that seeks to put this big legitimate high art. This is where the real shit happens. Stamp on it always has this air of classism and sexism to it. Uh and you have to be proper and right, and it, it's, tra- it's like tied up in a but bunch of bullshit. Do, does that make it sexist, though? I mean, because, you know, well, the, it's do, a dress code. Yes, it does. But do, do the men have to wear, say, a tie? Black suits and because, ties and Because stuff. I find ties really uncomfortable and irritating. It's so if true. I went to Can- and they made me wear a tie. It's I'm but, to- but, totally but, with you on the classism stuff. It's That's, true. You know, the they made me wear a tie therefore men's rights like it's not the same thing if you're going to apply a specific dress codes to women uh that are about things that aren't applied to men that is inherently uh, a kind of misogynistic approach so, like, so so the men should have had to wear heels as well well, no, I <laughs> no, it's less about the granular, like the granular bits of. Hey, Cam would still have been a probably kind of sexist and classist or thing without this one bit of information. It's just another way of it seeping through. I I agree that it's a ridiculous thing, in to not let them wear flat shoes. I just don't know if it's sexist if they're making men wear uncomfortable clothes as well, like ties. Because it comes out of a different place. No one is saying that men have to wear a tie because if they don't wear a tie, they're, like, uglier. Like, high heels are men... Is that what's actually been said, though? No one's saying it, but high heels as a fashion thing and the way women are told to dress at formal events is very different to the way men are told to dress at formal events. Women are meant to be revealing and your head will turn when they come in and they're uh, objects and they all have different dresses and and all men look exactly the same in exactly the same suit. So they have very different contexts. I have a friend. I mean, the only experience I've got of like corporate events is you know women have to wear skirts below the knee and stuff like that i don't know if i've ever been to one where they've been told to wear short skirts well it's all it's all about um deciding for women what level of sexualized they are meant to be it's all about deciding what a woman is allowed to present as and their purpose and treating them as someone without agency and yeah that's totally fucked up and misogynistic whichever way it goes so <laughs> playing devil's advocate a little bit Don't what do if, that. if someone went to like a nightclub and they were wearing trainers and they well, said you can't well, trainers. well Owen I have a friend who will remain anonymous although he probably doesn't listen to this podcast I don't even know I'd do it but he had a little self-imposed rule if he was out on a Saturday night and looking to uh, pursue a young lady he would not go for any girl who wasn't wearing heels because he said that if they weren't wearing heels on a Saturday night they hadn't made enough effort well, that, that kind of is a bit sexist. <laughs> he sounds like a great person. I'm sure he has healthy relationships with all the people in his life. Um, some of them. Um, but I think yeah. he, I think there was a little bit of, of joking in there, but not all of joking. Mm. But some. Well, yeah. But, uh, you know, I personally haven't got a problem with what anyone wears to anything. But I just, I'm not sure how upset i am about someone being told that they have to dress a certain way for a sort of 
special event like that. Well, it's what not if... about it's not about the thing at the specific event. It's just it's more a, a signifier of an attitude and a system of like you shouldn't be upset at this one thing. You should just be upset at the fact that people decide, like the men decide what women are allowed to be in specific scenarios. But do, but do we know it's all men on the committee that made this decision? It's not, spe- what, probably not, <laughs> but it's not specific. It's cultural. <laughs> it's, it's how sexism works. It's how any kind of uh, kind of institutional, men, yeah, it's institutional sexism and and any kind of oppression okay. that uh, manifests itself through society's like unwritten rules. Hmm. Okay, so before Jackson explodes, shall we (laughs) move on? Yes, you're listening to the (laughs) Failed Critics Film Podcast, and after this break, we'll be talking about films. Welcome to part two of this week's Failed Critics Podcast, where in what we've been watching, we take and look back at some films we've seen in the last seven days or so. Uh, Owen's going to start us off with this one. Yeah, so I watched Prometheus, which was shown on Channel 4, I think, a week and a bit ago. Uh, the Ridley Scott film. We actually, this was like our main review from like episode seven of the podcast, and this is episode... Was it, was it, as, long, was it as long ago as that? It was. I, yeah, remember, I remember, because I was taking the podcast seriously seven episodes in, and because this was a big new release, I just remember because I was so busy that week, I went to watch like the midnight screening on the day. Oh, I remember out. you did that. Yeah. Yeah. It was the only way I could have fitted it in. And it was full of weirdos. <laughs> yeah. OK. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not go- I'm not going to a midnight screening again. It, it attracts the wrong kind of people. Yeah. But that was episode number seven. And this is episode 157. You see. So. So a little bit of a link there. Uh, not really. I'm stretching it a bit. But um, yeah, so episode seven, we talked about it. I think at the time we were all pretty unanimous in enjoying it. Uh, admittedly, there were faults with it. Um, the script is a little bit shaky. Like the fact that it's complete and utter trash. I don't think it's complete and utter trash. I've watched, this is only the second watch that I've, that I've um, had of Prometheus. I still really like it. I still think there were some really... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say it. I think there were some clever concepts to it, particularly around the whole Promethean aspect, you know, taking the name of the, the film and the ship and so, and so on and trying to investigate where we come from and who we are and if it's important about where we come from and how life progresses. So, like, in the film, you've got um, Numi Rapace, who, who sort of almost stumbles upon the origin of, of man and you've also then on top of that got the future of man in a way with michael fassbender's character the android uh or, or sort of the the advancement of humankind and i think it, it's very clever in the way that it links all those together but i'm you know i'm not going to say the script is perfect uh obviously damon lindelof got a lot of stick a lot of flack for coming in and effectively in some people's opinions fucking up the script um but I don't think that's true. I, I don't know. I've, I've not read what the original script was. I heard that the original script is a lot, uh, let's, shall we say, talkier. You know, <laughs> there's more dialogue that actually kind of flows and makes a bit more sense and isn't just about people trying to come across as quite cool. Uh, Idris Elba, for example, doesn't really do anything in this, but he's just there with pot. Yeah, you know, this is a slight spoiler. He's there to pilot the ship into another spaceship. It's effectively all he does in this film. Um, but the, you know there are there are aspects to it like Charlize Theron is very good. I think I've said this point um, before on the podcast and, and elsewhere. I think she's only ever as good as the film that she's in. I don't think she's ever made an average film better. Uh, when she's been in a good film, she herself has been good. When she's been in a not so good film, she's been not so good. Um, I don't know whether anyone else agrees with that because you know just taking something like Hancock for example. She's not very good in that, and that's not a very good film. Hancock's fine. I remember enjoying Hancock, but I haven't seen it in haven't seen it in long enough to like actually argue that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I remember well, enjoying the, Hancock. I, I thought I thought Hancock was, from what I remember, enjoyable, but you know, not great. Is it? I thought it was an it was interesting. Fine. I thought it was an interesting concept with the first, not, like, not the bit with, um, you know, when he meets his 
space wife or whatever it is. But <laughs> the bit of him being like somebody with superpowers who comes to Earth but ends up actually being a bit of a down and out and reluctant hero and that was quite an interesting concept they didn't really look into enough. Yeah, well, the first half an hour of Hancock is quite entertaining. And then, yeah, it's massively shit after that. Um, it's like, a, I don't know what happens. It just turns into a complete pile of wank. But Prometheus, I, I kind of enjoy all the way through. I do like the concept. I do like the story. I think it looks absolutely amazing. And one of the, the criticisms, because I've been doing a little bit of research, you know, I've just talked about how we're not actually that professional and we aren't. But I did do a bit of um, homework on this and read up some other reviews and some from around the time that the film came out. A lot of people pointing out things like plot holes, which I don't think are plot holes. So, uh, for example, Rafe Spall, who... Have you, have you all seen Prometheus? First? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know where the <clears throat> alien snake phallic thing comes out of the water? Yeah. And they touch it. And they say, that's a plot hole because any real geologist or scientist or biologist or whatever they were all supposed to be wouldn't have just gone up and touched it i don't think that's a plot hole is it that's not what a plot that's hole not, is to me that's not a that plot doesn't... hole that's a character acting stupid or you could say this film's set in space in the future maybe scientists do different <laughs> things maybe scientists have changed their procedures by then it's more a sign that the the film is very lacking in character, which it is. Like the reason yeah. people get annoyed at the plot holes and these like really tangible things that are going wrong in it are because they don't understand why anyone's doing anything. No one's mm. motivation has like a concrete link to their character and their actions. There's no cause and effect to the storytelling. So of course everyone says there's plot holes everywhere, and the problem is more that no none of the characters in the film are like human beings with wants and needs. They just like people who monologue about the themes and then do a thing that the plot requires. True, yeah. I mean, the, like, yeah, the characters are definitely lacking in it, but... Hmm. I don't know. But anyway, so I, I'm still, still going to defend this. I still think it's a good film. I think it's uh, unfairly maligned. Have we had... I, don't, I haven't followed it as much as other people might do. Have we had a director's cut of Prometheus yet? No, but that was one of the things that Ridley Scott was apparently going to do and hasn't has, hasn't or hasn't yet or hasn't at all hasn't sometime around the sequel coming out wouldn't it exactly yeah possibly that's that's a good point yeah probably come around sort of whenever prometheus 2 is out okay well myself i've watched a couple of disaster movies this week as uh coming shortly to cinemas is san andreas starring the rock and the big earthquake um so, I've watched The Day After Tomorrow. Is he another and... wrestler? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Sorry, dude. <laughs> don't, don't, don't throw my train of thought. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, I've watched uh, The Day After Tomorrow and Deep Impact and realised that they are actually both quite boring. Um, but they are... You've only just realised well, The Day After... I'd probably realised previously. I, I remember kind of not disliking The Day After Tomorrow when I watched it a long, long time ago. But now I, just, I was watching it again and thought, this is too much about whichever Quaid it was and Jake Gyllenhaal rather than me seeing really bad weather fucking up the planet. Is The Day After Tomorrow the one with the mutating neutrinos? No, that's 2012, I <laughs> that think. Is 2012? Yes. <laughs> this that's is the new... one where they uh, are chased by ice. Yeah, this is the one. Um, this yeah. is the one where the the ice caps freeze. Really, something happens and the temperature drops really quickly, um, and no one's expecting it. Um, yeah, it's yeah. it's just it's just more boring than what I remember. I wanted to see more bad weather fucking up the planet because that's the best bits of the film when they jump off places around the world and you see like the RAF in the helicopters crashing trying to save the royal family or the big hailstones in Japan or the twisters taking out all of LA in the Hollywood sign. Not the bits where thingy Quaid is walking across a load of ice to find his son. Who's actually all right. He's just in a, in a library with a fire on burning books and, and keeping himself. Okay. Generally. And deep impact is equally as boring. As I mentioned before we started this podcast, it turns a film about an asteroid destroying the earth into a, a, about a news reporter's 
issues with her father. And... Yeah, well... Armageddon is what a, a film about an asteroid hitting the Earth should be about. <laughs> Deep Impact is not... I did like some bits about Deep Impact, the bit about the actual astronauts who went into space um, who hadn't then had the kind of moral decision whether to blow up the asteroid and save the Earth or save as much of the Earth as they could or go home be with their families but all die. That was quite good, and their bits were quite good. Um, all the bits with uh, Elijah Wood were a bit boring and irritating, really. Um, but yeah, it's not... I can't really think of, other than Armageddon, which I enjoyed, but obviously has many, 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 many flaws. <laughs> I can't really think of any disaster movies like that that are actually that good. You mean you didn't like Volcano and Dante's Peak? Well, I didn't like Dante's Peak, and Volcano is, is just pretty... Sucky, it's kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really, I'm not looking forward to San Andreas. There's a, a Cineworld Unlimited preview, which I'm probably going to go to, but I just, I have very, very low expectations of that, even with The Rock in it. I, not even The Rock can make me excited about that film. No. I've, it, it just doesn't seem the right kind of film for him. Oh, I think it kind of, it does seem like the right sort of film in the sense that he gets to be the hero, the all-action hero. Yeah, but it doesn't he flies a like... helicopter around and saves a load of innocent people. Yeah, but, but it just doesn't seem like he's going to be the hero like in Fast and Furious 7 or something. Yeah, it's pretty hard to fire a machine gun into an earthquake. It's not really going to do anything. How would Tidal you know? wave. Well, tidal wave, yeah. <laughs> How would I know? Yeah. Uh, um, I'm not... A... An you're, not a ge- you're, not a ge- you're not a geologist, are you? I'm not a geo- geologist. Geologist. <laughs> no, but... you're, you're not a geologist and you never will be with knowledge like that. No, I'm afraid not. No. Jackson, are you suitably bored enough in talking through what you've seen? I've seen, um, I, I've seen a lot of films. I'll pick Election because hey. I watched that the other week and I love that. Uh, I went in expecting just a ridiculous high school movie, which it kind of is, but also it's like the broadcast news of high school movies, and it's just <laughs> this film about <laughs> people desperately trying to get something, but their inability to fix the problems in their life because of either faults in themselves or just the, the way people interact with each other and they're like stuck in their positions in life. Uh, and it's the most heartbreaking thing. That film is so sad. And I love it so much. Uh, it's, it's also hilarious. Um, any, any, and it's all about a fucking high school election, and it gets all this ridiculous drama out of it. It's, it's great. It's, have you, have any, you all seen that? That film people have seen? No, yeah, I've I love, I loved election. I thought for all the reasons you just mentioned, it, it's just, it's, it's really clever. The way that um, Matthew Broderick's characters just written in it is. The way he sort of crumbles and stuff is just is fantastic. I loved it. And yep. it's really brutal about the whole political process. Yeah, kind of. In uh, elect- well, election process, I guess. Um, I saw it as more... like I, I, didn't, I know that is a big satire of the election process, but I was way more interested in the personal stories of what was going on. I saw that way more as talking hmm. about how you cope with just dissatisfaction in your life and how you like the ways you try to deal with that and what happens when everything completely crumbles around you Mm -hmm. it has an amazing ending oh it's (laughs) it's a great film i loved it a lot you should all all watch it it's yeah i concur because i went into it expecting exactly the same thing as you i thought um it would just be a a teen drama type film but it's it's much more sophisticated than that I think the fact it's set in a high school has probably put a lot of people off it, but they should watch it. It's very good. Yep. So that's mm-hmm. election. Done. Done. In the bag. <laughs> Nailed it. Yes. And, um, <laughs> Andrew, you are reviewing something relatively new for us, aren't you? Yeah, I, I got lucky enough to be able to see the new James Cullen Brassic film, Pernicious, which is uh, his latest cheap shit horror movie. <laughs> And it is very cheap shit. It's very, very cheap shit. It's about a group of girls who go on a holiday to Thailand and trip across a haunted statue that, well, well, it kind of, was it? It kind of possesses them, I suppose. 
it, yeah, influences their sort of behaviour and stuff. Yeah. And kind of haunts them a little bit as well with a yeah. little child who runs around. It's a, it's a, it's interesting because it's, it's a little, it's kind of a ghost story, but not quite. Yeah, it sort of falls between two, two different areas, doesn't it? It's yeah. not a possession. It's not haunting. It's, it's just about some traveling teens. Well, I don't know if they're teens, early twenties or whatever they are, in Thailand who happen upon a kind of possessed haunted statue, which is just really, really creepy. The the statue itself just creeped me out the entire time I was watching mm. the film. But yeah, it's I, I as I've said a, a lot of times, I really like the guy that made it. Uh, James Cullen Bress is one of my favourite little indie directors, especially when mm-hmm. it comes to horror. Like him and the Soska sisters are probably my favourite cheap horror uh, filmmakers. So I was really excited to get my hands on Pernicious, and I have to admit I was. Because he said in an interview with one of the magazines that he deals with a lot that it was his most violent film to date, which kind of scared me, I have to admit, because I've seen <laughs> most of his stuff, and his stuff is brutal. Yeah, because you talked about hate crime, didn't you? Yeah, well, hate crime's probably the pinnacle of his bad films, just because it's so horrendously violent for mm. less than no reason, literally just because he can. So it did make me worry a little bit. But no, I, I so I went into Pernicious... A bit skeptical, but no, I came out. I really enjoyed it, and it, it's sufficiently nasty to uh, to pretty much appease any bloody horror fan. Uh, as this ghost statue thing kind of influences them to well, to, to get a little torture porny with a couple of mm. guys that they bring mm. back to the house, and which yeah, even that made my stomach turn. It, it takes a lot, but yeah, even that made my stomach turn. There's, it does. There's, there's some things it doesn't do fantastically well, and one of them is that bit where they bring the guys back to their flat or their little it was uh, a apartment bit, thing. It was a bit shit. <laughs> it was a bit shit, and also it does a really standard horror thing of making you side with the girls who are murdering the blokes because it makes the blokes into a rapist. Yeah. And you think, oh well, no, you're meant to automatically side with. Them. I think that that is a little bit cheap, and I was. A, it is cheap. It's it's tacky and it's a bit cheesy. Uh, it's but, very, it's very just... cliche. But at the same time, I think that the thing with Bresic's movies is you, the acting in them is never that good, and the the writing is usually only okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bresic comes into his own when he starts killing people. As yeah, as a horror director, he's very good. I think yeah. this is the well. It, I say that it's, this is the first film of his I've actually seen. Um, but it has made me interested to see what else he's done, particularly because I know how much you've raved about him in the past. I just, um, I, I, he's one of those directors that I can forgive him a lot for his like the crap acting, and the and the acting does get bad. The last shot of Pernicious actually annoyed me quite a lot. <laughs> but yeah, I can forgive him a lot for his acting uh, or for the acting he has in his films because he puts a lot of effort, like I say, into killing people in weird and wonderful ways. And, he, and the, the visuals are kind of around those, um, uh, would you call, yeah, kill scenes, I guess, around the kill scenes. Yeah. The visuals are around that very uh, cold and distanced, if you like. They are. And, and it, it's, it's a quite a, a, a clever trick that he does. I'm not quite sure. I'd love to sort of watch it again and pick out exactly what he's um, done to, to instill that kind of atmosphere and that feeling. But... Um, yeah, no, I am in agreement. I'm quite I quiet, I think, is the thing. Like, the music is okay for the most part, but when it actually comes to the real horrific violence, usually mm. he, he kills the score. And I think yeah. that, that does quite a good job of doing it. Yeah. But I do recommend, you know, all his early stuff, most of his early stuff actually is on, uh, it's on American Netflix. Okay. So, yeah, definitely check it out. They're, they're about the same average acting, mm. but decent direction when he starts killing and murdering people. Yeah, but it, the film itself doesn't actually come out until June nineteenth. No, it got officially 19th. announced as coming out in the UK for video on demand, middle of June as well. That happened yeah. yesterday, I think. Great, fantastic. So yeah, we both recommend that. Thumbs up, two yeah. thumbs up. <laughs> Good. Uh, that's all for part two. In part three, we will have reviews of new releases: Pitch Perfect Two and Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> Final 
final part of this week's Fail Critics podcast now, and we are going to be reviewing a couple of new releases. Jackson is first up reviewing Pitch Perfect 2 for us. Uh, yeah, I guess. I I don't know what to say. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I know none of you have seen it, so ask any questions. Uh, the first Pitch Perfect, I remember being an interesting but flawed, fun little movie about this ridiculous... Um, acapella championship nonsense and it was fine it was all right the love story was uh, boring um and but the songs were fine and it was funny enough but pitch perfect 2 just felt uh, so uh, like a rote comedy sequel uh all the heart was lost the jokes became very mean the treatment of fat amy was like appalling uh, like the the film begins with a joke about Oh, her trousers ripped and she showed her vagina to the president. Ha, ha, aren't fat people gross? Like, and that kind of nastiness runs throughout the film. Uh, basically directed at anyone who isn't a um, pretty white person uh, is uh, like fodder for humor and derogatory comments, which is weird because the film also uh, frames itself as this empowering um, girl power movie and for it to rely so heavily on shitting on a bunch of uh women it felt strange but yeah also it wasn't it wasn't as funny it was super bogged down or the singing wasn't that great uh like it was fine but it went on too long with just reprising bits from the first movie but i don't know i don't know what you want i know i don't know <laughs> well ask me anything about pitch perfect 2 i didn't really like it is, okay. is Fat Amy uh, played by a rebel what's-her-face? Yes. Right. I've never seen Pitch Perfect 1 either, so I don't know. Well, Pitch Perfect 1 was a kind of a sleeper hit, wasn't it? It did, it, did, it became almost like a cult film because its reception initially was a bit lukewarm. Yeah, see, I know and a lot of people raved about Pitch Perfect 1. I just, you know, we never watched it. You know, it, yeah. it, it came and went in our cinema and we kind of went, well, no, there are other things we want to watch. But I kind of, because I, I saw an advert for Pitch Perfect too, and the, and the, because I want to pick up on the thing Jackson said about the fat jokes, because hmm. I spotted them in the trailer for Pitch Perfect too, yep. and it kind of looked like they were doing that thing, and I really hate it when they do it to Melissa McCarthy in almost any film she's in. Yes, it was straight up that. It was straight it's up the way they. Fucking screamed. awful doing that to someone, because she is actually re- Rebel. I don't know her surname. Rebel, whatever her name is. Rebel Wilson. It's really funny. I think she is proper in the, on the same level as Melissa McCarthy. I think she's absolutely hilarious. And to roll her down to just one joke, I think fucking sucks. Yeah. The Sorry. only thing I know about Rebel Wilson is she shares a house or used to share a house with Matt Lucas. They were flatmates, apparently. That's my only fact about them. The, I, I don't remember the first film well enough to actually speak to this, but when I watched it the first time, I do remember that it... um because Fat Amy's character is played as this empowering fuck all you mm. for insulting me um, person who is explicitly calling out all the people that are trying to insult her as wrong and none of that was present in Pitch Perfect 2 I can't I haven't seen the first one in a couple of years so I don't remember if it was if the first film was any better about it but I think it was I don't remember it being as bad as this like that's why I was surprised by how uh, gross yeah i'm very surprised because also it's um, like eight years long so is it really long <laughs> it's two hours long it's two hours long it's just too long for a comedy isn't it um eh. well like that sort of comedy you know it was it was structured re- really similar to like a superhero movie like it ha- if you replace <laughs> if you replace they punch guys with they sing for a bit it it was all built around these set pieces and there was a bunch of like the plotting didn't line up with any of the character arc. It was like, now they go to a house to sing for 20 minutes. Why? Nah, David Cross is here. Oh God. I'm really sick of David Cross. Hey, let's not hate on David Cross. Man, got to I'm get Arrested paid. Development's the only thing I've seen him in and liked him. Let's David see. Cross has to get paid. Go watch Mr. Show. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's, that's Pitch Perfect 2. I assume people want to talk about Mad Max and we don't have that long left. So yes, let's yes, go. Let's do Mad Max. <laughs> yes. oh, I will just say as well, your review is like opposite to what Callum said on the website. He seemed to really love Pitch Perfect 2 more than the first. No, it's okay. Callum's wrong sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So Mad Max, Steve, introduce it. Yes, Mad Max uh, Fury Road is the fourth film in the Mad Max series. And Tom Hardy takes on Mel Gibson's role as the title character Mad Max. Um, I think... 
Andrew would be best introducing the series to people, sort of podcasting to people who maybe haven't seen it, as he did a retrospective review for the website. Um, and also, really, if we can work out, if possible, where this film falls chronologically, because I think there's a bit of debate about that within the Mad Max series. It kind of doesn't. It's kind of a half reboot thing. Hey, th- that first movie, there was no apocalypse. The second movie was set after an apocalypse. They have never given a shit. They just make their <laughs> random movie. Like Mad Max, none of the Mad Max films are actually related to any of the others in any way. They don't care, and it's great. They've continued that tradition. None of it matters. Isn't there a thing about in Thunderdome? He's got a car that he didn't have in the second one, or something like that. They don't care. They just don't care. They don't even care a little yeah. bit, and they continue not to care now. They're like, "Hey, what if we just See, have a car chase for two hours?" And you're like, "What if? Yeah, good." <laughs> so you say they don't care, but the dude actually does have the same car for the entire four films. The same Pursuit Special, yeah, his Pursuit Special follows him through all four films. It it doesn't last very long in Fury Road, (laughs) but it's there. And in fairness to Mad Max 1, there's less than no world building at the beginning of Mad Max 1. You're just thrown straight into it. It's not nothing's explained. Yeah, no, I really like Mad Max 1. But the the explanation in Road Warrior, like, completely like. Mad Max 1 is literally, it's like that old, and it's obviously because it is, it's, an, it's a late 70s action film, which mm-hmm. means it's all talking up to the last 20 minutes. There's, it's great. There's no, there's no explanation for what's gone on beforehand, and there will be no explanation as to what happens afterwards. It's just that 90 minutes that you're watching it, that's all that matters. And mm-hmm. when you move on to Road Warrior, I, I, maybe you think, well, you do think differently. Mad <laughs> Max 2, when it explains what happened, it's actually explained to you what happened to cause everything before Mad Max and Mad Max 2. Well, yeah, well, that's what I mean. But, like, the explanation of the state of the world doesn't match up with actually the world you're shown in Mad Max 1. Like, what they have in those films are icons. They have him, they have the car, they have, like, the wasteland. And those stay, but they don't care about anything in between. It's like James Bond movies. Like, you have Bond, you have Q, you have recurring characters, but they're icons. They're just things you bring in to make up an element of... This uh, is 70s action through and through, though, isn't it? Yeah. Like, this is... It's just an exploitation and, picture, yeah. And they and they make a, a concerted effort to build that world for you at the beginning of Road Warrior and carry it on through. As to how how well it continues in the Thunderdome, I think the bigger question needs to be why the fuck did anyone make Thunderdome? Mm. Oh, the first half of Thunderdome is really good. No. <laughs> yeah, because oh. the idea of looking at that world to see, uh, like, examine a society functioning, like, the the people in Thunderdome are really shitty, but it's, like, pre- presented in this really empathetic way, where Tina Turner isn't actually a villain there, she's just someone trying to make the city run, and these people trying to build no, some kind I, of stable living in this fucked up world. I, I understand that, and that's actually, they, Miller does a half-decent job building that. The problem is, the rest of the film is kind of pants. I I think the second half is weaker because it doesn't really fully capitalise on it, but there are bits in Thunderdome that I love. Also, I love that it just transitions from 70s action movie hardness to the 80s-ist bullshit imaginable. It goes very quickly into (laughs) mid-80s cheese and that's so dumb, so good. Have you seen his hair in that movie? (laughs) His hair's fucking terrible in all the movies. (laughs) He starts off with the same hair in Fury Road. Anyway, on to Fury Fury Road then, which sees uh, Mad Max kidnapped and taken prisoner by a group of wild boys. Effectively, yeah, kind of, in a way. Um, But as I think Jackson said, it's just a two-hour car chase from start to finish. It's just cars, bikes, lorries... There is Guns, nothing wrong with sticks that. Sticks that explode, uh, spikes on cars. A man, a man who's playing a guitar. A, a, <laughs> seriously, giant flame-throwing guitar the... guy for president. <laughs> that dude needs a job on every film ever. That was amazing. I couldn't believe it when I saw that. It, <laughs> just... it was just like, however long the film was, it was that long of just like, what the fuck is happening? But the thing with Giant Flamethrower Guitar Guy was it was like a moment of instant hilarity in this really high-octane, high-pressure film. And all of a sudden, I'm pissing myself laughing because mm. there's a dude on a giant lorry playing a giant flamethrower guitar. Yeah. For no reason. <laughs> Other than but the thing about Mad Max... Well, this yeah. is it. it is, yeah. It's just 100% a 
heavy metal because he can. You know, every film should have a dude that plays a fire-breathing guitar. Yeah. And the main bad guy, Immortan Joe, Hugh Keysburn, is Toe-Cutter. From he is Toe-Cutter. Amazing. I couldn't believe that. I found it after I'd seen it. I was like, I'm sure he looks sort of familiar, but why? I can't tell, because he's got a mask on. And then I found out, and it was just mind-blowing. That's fantastic. Um, but also, it's not really a Mad Max film, is it? It's not really about Max. He's just in the film. And it's kind of mainly a film about Imperator Furiosa. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. I mean, I, I know a lot of people, There's because I spend far too much time on the internet reading other people's shit. You know, I, I know there's a lot of talk about how it's a proper feminist movie. And I'm not saying it's not. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and she is absolutely 100% one of the main characters. I don't think she's the main character. I think uh, him and her share that build together. Well, yeah, I think both, both of them get top billing. Both of them are the stars of the movie. The whole thing's about their like, accepting of each other. And then he disappears into the night and it's the best. Mm. But sh- yeah, I mean, Max's story in this is very secondary to what happens to... Imperator Furiosa. I think this is very much because we already know what's happened to Max. You know, we... we mm, yeah, just, I guess. You know, semi-reboot or not, because it is only semi, because there's a lot of little bits in that film that do carry over from the other films. But sort of Sean is, is the hero in this. She's the liberator of these people, and she's the one leading them to the Greenland and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Is Greenland? I can't remember what it was Green called. Place. Green Place. She's taking them to Greenland. <laughs> a, I don't get me, I'm not taking anything away from Charlize Theron. I thought she was fucking amazing in Fury Road. And I do think, I, I said it in my review, I think she's up there with the Sarah Connors and the Ellen Ripleys in film. I think the only problem I've got is that too much of a big deal is being made of it. Instead of just sitting back and going, yes, yeah, she was spectacular. And that was a spectacular role model for female actresses, screenwriters, whatever take it as it is what i don't want to do is sit and read about it for the next six months <laughs> i'm not yeah i'm not sure it's written to be a feminist uh film it just happens to be that the main character is well maybe no maybe not maybe it is kind of a little bit meant to be it's it's, it's meant to treat women like people and it's meant to have yeah, strong characters. Yeah. like the problem isn't anything to do with the film the problem is just in holding it up as this like all it does is meet the base level of expectation of treating women like characters and like focusing stories around them uh, people are going to write a thousand think pieces about is it capital f feminist and it's like who cares it like yeah. no nothing is you can't like codify a piece of work as uh representing an ideal as broad as that it, mm. it can't possibly uh, uh, nail that down the film has a lot of problems the film has a lot of um at least in terms of um things problems it, it, <laughs> yeah but yeah I, the film has problems but i mean like it has a lot of things you can criticize it about and not being progressive enough and like doing a bunch of shitty things uh like the film's super white the film's uh really gross into portrayal of like disabled people and, and stuff like all the uh good guys uh supermodels driving off into the sun and all the bad guys are just physically impaired husks of evil uh i think you've seen a bit too much into that well, no, but that's like a cla- um, that's like a classic way of portraying heroes and villains. That's well, how yeah, I understand is the the suit the super pretty, you know, super gorgeous chicks are meant to be super pretty and super gorgeous. That's why he's picked them. Yeah, no, I know, but I like <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm saying that the film. I'm not like, complaining about it that much. I'm just saying that the film. If you're gonna look at it from that perspective, there are a lot of things to digest and unpack and look at and study, but. Yeah. Deci- doing that with the intent of deciding yes or no, is it good enough? Is it fit in this box? Is uh, not a worthwhile use of anyone's time. It's not productive at all. It's not going to improve or make the film worse for anybody. It's just, yeah, it is what it is, which is just a massive action film. The kind of film that everyone really had their fingers crossed would it would be. This is it. That's exactly what I wanted it to be when I went into it. I wanted it to be stupid. Balls to the wall, all out action. And you know what? I, literally, I came home and I sat on my sofa and I said to the wife, I've, I've got to write something about this film and I don't know how because it's left me so fucking wired. <laughs> literally, I came home, I was like, I, I need to talk to somebody. I need to, I need to go and see it again. I need to, I need to do something. I, just, I literally couldn't get a coherent thought out of my head about mm. this fucking movie. It, was absolutely, it left me stunned. And it's exactly what I wanted from a Mad Max film. 
And would... do you know who who's kind of underrated in this is Nicholas Holt. I think he was absolutely brilliant. And I don't know where that performance came from. What are, the only thing I've seen him in before is the two X-Men films he was in, and I thought he was crap. I kind of don't mind him in those, but he, there's something about him that annoys me in that. And I've seen him in uh, Jack the Giant Slayer, I think was the other one. Oh, yeah. And that that's not a very good film. But so where, where this performance came from, I don't know, because he was just sensational. Well, I, th- I thought he was absolutely amazing. You know, everything from from when you first see him at the beginning right through to the last scene he's in at the end, I, I wanted to cheer for the dude. I thought he was yeah. spectacular. I think his characters are not as strong as some of the others, though. The way he changes... Well, yeah, his transformation needed fleshing out a bit more. Because it just sort of gets a bit disappointed. And then yeah. it's, it's that. But, you know, without going into specifics for people who haven't seen it, you know. But it, it's, it's just... Um, yeah, but he was very good. I thought I, I kind of liked liked him a lot in this. Um, and I thought he played off the other characters. The um, which one was was his girlfriend? I can't remember which of the. I can I can't remember the names. It was the redhead what? one, wasn't the redhead it? Redhead one, one, yeah. I can't remember what. Yeah, the I can't remember were. what the character's name was or the actress, but uh, oh dear, never mind. All these white people look the same to me, but um, but he was he was very good. Uh, and uh, yeah, like I say, fit into to the cast spectacularly. Yeah. And the uh, the son, the guy that plays the son, the big dude, Nathan Jones. <laughs> I haven't seen that dude in anything for a couple of years, and I forgot just how fun that dude can be when he's beating people up. I don't think I know him. Uh, he's, a, he's a wrestler. Oh, okay. Uh, from back in the day, he hasn't wrestled for a long time. Uh, the only oh, film... I know what he was in. He was he in was the Condemned. The... I was going to say Fearless, the Jet Li film. He's the uh, British guy. Yes. Who fights Jet Li. Yes, he is. Yeah, okay, that's it. Right. Um, no, quick, quick, quickly, before we finish our review of Mad Max Fury Road, how do we feel Tom Hardy did stepping into Mel Gibson's shoes? He did brilliantly. I've only seen the first Mad Max, and, um, you know, after everything we've just said about Mad Max Fury Road, I don't really like the first Mad Max. Oh, God. I just I've I've seen it twice and both times I've just been a bit bored with it. But um so for me Tom Hardy much better. But he, again I don't think he was the main character so I don't think he was I, mean, I don't know. He was good but he was just a bit Tom Hardy, wasn't he? He was well, just mumbling I, a lot. I know, I've said it a lot of times before I dote on Tom Hardy a lot. I love that man. And the day he wins an Oscar for anything will be the happiest day of my life. <laughs> I thought he was spectacular. And he's signed up to do about seven more or something, hasn't he? Ridiculous yeah, I think like he that. said he's got he's signed up to two or three more. And uh, was it uh, Miller said the other day that he's got you know plans already in motion for the next one. Yeah, it needs to make a bit more money at the box office, though. I think it, it will. You know what? I think it's going to progressively over the next couple of weeks. I think it'll, it will. Obviously, it won't make as much as it did this weekend, but I don't think it will tank as low as say Pitch Perfect Two will now that everybody's been on their date to see it. Mm, well, yeah, maybe. That, that would be my guess. I rec- I don't think it will do, you know, 40 million again this this weekend. I bet it does decent numbers over the next couple of weeks, enough to make it, because what he spent, 150 million making that film, didn't he? Yeah, 150 million dollars budget, yeah. but, es- you know, estimated according to IMDb and yeah. probably takes into account marketing and whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got my fingers crossed that it'll at least make back its money. But even if it just makes 150 million, that's not usually enough to guarantee another sequel anyway. Yeah. Particularly one of the same budget. Depends on you how know. desperate Warner Brothers get after their Justice League thing tanks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that's all for our review of uh, Mad Max Fury Road. And almost all for the podcast, all we've got left to do is recommend a couple of films for everyone to watch in the next week or so. Owen, why don't you kick us off with what you're telling everyone to feast their eyes on? Yeah, okay. So um, on BBC One, 8pm on Monday, is Avengers Assemble. They've shown it quite a few times, but um, and I've seen it quite a few times, but I still think it's really good, and it's about ten times better than Age of Ultron. So... Save yourself a cinema ticket if you've not been already. The price of a cinema ticket, and stay home and watch the first Avengers instead. Okay, uh, Jackson. Uh, I picked a Netflix film. Uh, go watch Spring Breakers. 
<laughs> oh, Spring Breakers yeah. is spectacular. The Harmony Korean movie released a couple of years ago. Uh, God, it's great. It's just ridiculous neon nightmare of sadness and America. <laughs> it's it's, yeah. it's 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 great. It's great. Go watch it. With James Franco's piano solo of Look Britney Spears at song. All my sheet. <laughs> Andrew. Okay, so I'm. I don't know how people are going to think about this one. On Saturday at eleven o'clock on Film Four is the Evil Dead remake from a couple of years ago that I really, really enjoyed. I thought it was better than everybody else seemed to think it was. Yeah, it was. It was. It was okay. Um, it's better than Army of Darkness. There were there were two or three bits that literally had me jumping out of my seat uh, when I went to see it at the cinema. So if if a film can do that to me, it's it's pretty decent for a horror film. So yeah, I highly recommend it. I'm going for E4 as well, Saturday as well, but three o'clock in the afternoon they are showing Three Men and a Baby. <laughs> just a bit of watch, field just choice. The other end of the spectrum from uh, Spring Breakers <laughs> yeah. and Evil Dead. Just a little bit, but just as just as valid. Maybe. If you want a proper one, um, Channel 4 on Saturday at 9 o'clock is showing Rise of the Planet of the Apes, so have that one as well. Bonza. There we go. So, yes, that's all for this week's Felt Critics podcast. I'd like to thank all of you lovely people for listening, and you can find our website at www.feltcritics.com if you don't already know where it is. Um, thanks to Andrew and Jackson for joining us, and hopefully... You'll all join us again same time next week. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, on Twitter at failedcritics, and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash failedcritics. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.